Romans chapter 1, verse 11, 12 is where we're at today. Uh, we have finished our Genesis series, and so we're going to be moving probably next week into, into a series in the Beatitudes. Uh, that's in Matthew, kind of the blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. I think, anyway, that's the direction we're going. But for today, we need to, uh, we need to talk as a family. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be starting our small groups next week, and so next week is our spring semester kicked off. And so I wanted to take today uh, just to talk to you as a church family about who we are, uh, how discipleship happens at Lincoln Avenue. Uh, if you've been here very long, you've heard us say Christ-centered relationships, and you may be thinking, what in the world is that? I'm going to tell you what that is today. We're going to describe what that looks like in hopefully very practical ways today. And we're just going to talk as a church family about what, what, do, what does it mean to be us? What does it mean to be believers in Jesus Christ pulled together in the church of God? And so we're going to take uh, a verse that we have used for probably 10 years in this church as kind of the foundation of our small group ministry. Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Here's what Paul says. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Father, we thank you for, uh, for giving us a church, God. Uh, we thank you, Father, not, not so much for the buildings and not so much for programs. Lord, we, we are thankful for those. Uh, but God, most of all, we're thankful for people. Uh, people that you have saved, uh, that you have drawn to yourself, that you have quickened to eternal life. God, we are thankful for people who are indwelt by the Spirit of God and who, who strengthen our faith. And God, we pray that you would just show us in very practical ways today how we can leave here and how we can live that out uh, to the furtherance of your kingdom and to the, to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I, I really like the way that Paul talks in, in this passage. If you'll notice, we didn't read verse 10, but in verse 10 he says, Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may know at last, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. And so, so Paul says in verse 10 that he prays constantly that, that God would give him an opportunity to get to Rome. And the reason he wants to get to Rome is not to see the sights, it's not to go to the Colosseum. Actually, in this day and age, Christians didn't want to go to the Colosseum. That means you were getting ate by something, usually, or speared by something. And so, you know, Paul, Paul is not, that's not why he's anxious to go to Rome. Uh, verse 11 tells us why he's anxious to go to Rome. He says, for I long, that, that's a word that means I deeply desire to see you. Okay? So, so why does he want to go to Rome? He wants to go to Rome because he has this deep desire. He's praying, asking God, God, please work it out. Work out the travel. Work out the logistics. Work out the schedule. Work out the money. Work it out, God. I'm praying every day and I'm asking you because I have a deep desire to see these Christians who are at Rome. Now, the interesting thing about that is that Paul has never been to Rome. Okay, Paul's never been there. He doesn't know these people that he's talking about. He knows a few of them because in Romans chapter 16, he says, hey, say hi to this guy and this guy and this guy. But there are people that he's met somewhere else. And they've moved to Rome and they're, they're visiting in Rome and he knows they're there. But he has never been there himself. Okay, now do you see the strangeness of that? I mean, how many of you sit at home at night and you got, God, please, Lord, I pray that you would, just, you would just arrange it for me to meet these people, God. And arrange it for me to get together with these people. And God, I got this deep desire, this longing in my heart to be with these people. And you don't know who those people are. I mean, I, there's finally people that, that pray that way, that think that way. Now, you may have a longing in your heart to see certain people, but they're people you are 
already know, right? They're people that are already in your life. It's, this, it's, a, it's a sister who lives in California or a brother who lives in Pennsylvania or your folks who live in Minnesota or your kids who, who are spread out over the country. And, and you have already have this established relationship with them. And so that's why you long to see them. But Paul is saying something different. He's saying, I, I have this deep longing in my, whole, in my, in my heart to, to meet these people, to be with these people, to establish a relationship with these people. He says, I, I'm eager to see these people. That's why he wants to get to Rome. He wants to get there to be with them, to, to meet them, to, to eat with them, to, to have coffee with them, to be in a small group with them, so that he might do their faith good, so that he might give them something spiritual that's going to build up their faith. Now, the other interesting thing when I think about Paul talking that way is, man, one of the most effective things Paul did in his, in his ministry, in his life, that really blessed people. In fact, it's blessing you today, and, and you've probably already been blessed by it, is he wrote letters. Okay? The, the, probably the most powerful thing that Paul did in his life was he wrote letters. The book of Romans that we have in our Bible is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Roman church. The book of Colossians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossians. The, the book of Philippians is a letter from the... Yeah, I mean, 13 books of your New Testament are letters written by Paul. And man, they're effective letters. They're inspired of the Spirit of God. God has used those letters to, to help us understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it means to be a Christian, how to live out our Christian life, what heaven's going to be like. I, I mean, the, the, that's how powerful Paul was in writing the letters of the New Testament, how effective they were. And so one might even say, Paul, why, 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 why take two years of your life, you know, and, and go to Rome? Why, why, why travel there? Why take the months and then the time and the expense and the risk and the, and the danger of the seas or the danger of travel? Why, why do that when, when you could just write them a letter? You know, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? But, but you know what Paul believed that I want you guys to believe? You know what Paul believed that I want our church to embrace? Paul believed that it was necessary for us to grow as believers. We've got to be together. We've got to, we've got to entwine our lives together. We've got to build what we call here at Lincoln Avenue, Christ-centered relationships. And that's why Paul says in verse 11, I long to see you. Not just hear about you. Not just write a letter to you. Not just Facebook you. Not just text you. Not just call you on the phone. Paul says, we, I long to see you. I have a deep desire to see you. Now, some of you are going to say, whoa, Pastor Jason. Actually, I hope that you're thinking this far ahead. That would really delight me. I hope like you're not thinking about who's playing football today. But I hope, I hope you're really thinking about what I'm saying. And if you are, what you might be thinking is, whoa, whoa, Pastor Jason. If, if what you've just told us is true, if it is really important for us as believers to see one another on a regular basis, then what we did seven years ago probably wasn't a good idea. Seven years ago, we were full in, in this sanctuary. And we said, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to go to two services. And all of a sudden, everybody didn't see everybody, right? You weren't able to look across there and say, oh, there's Derek, Dave Biffle, and there's Brad Barrick, and oh, yeah, over, way over there, there's, there's Gary and Dolores Babb, and there's Bob Marie Derrick. We weren't able to do that because we were in two services. And then all of a sudden, 10 weeks ago, we did something even more drastic. We went from two services to three services, and now we're not even on the same campus together. And so we're not, we don't have the ability to see one another on Sunday morning in the worship service. And you're saying, Pastor, if this is true, then, man, we need to, we need to stop, stop preaching, get the offering plates out, and let's raise a million and a half dollars right now. You know, Let, let's, let's get this done so that we can build, build a big building so that we can all be together so we can see one another. 
I would go there, but I don't think that's exactly what Paul means, okay? When he says, I have a deep desire to see you. Now, it is cool to be able to see, oh, there's so-and-so in the worship service. But, you know, I don't think that's what he means. I don't think that's what produces discipleship. I don't think me coming and saying, there's Bonnie. Oh, she got on purple today. I don't think all of a sudden I'm infused with spiritual strength because I see her and she got on purple. I, I don't, that, that, it's nice, Bonnie, but it doesn't make me stronger in my faith, Okay? I think he's saying something different, don't you? I think what he means is not just see them as far as lay eyes on them, but I think what he means is I want my life to be intertwined with their life. I want some personal interaction. I want to have supper with them. I want to have lunch with them. I want to be in a small group with them. I want to have coffee with them. I want to exercise with them. I want to go hunting with them. I want to go fishing with them. I I want to intertwine my life with their life so that I will be strengthened and they will be strengthened. Paul believes that about the Christian life. Paul is convinced, and I believe the Bible is convinced, that God has wired discipleship so that it works when we intertwine our lives together. In fact, I would, I would even say this. If we had a building big enough, and there's probably one in Woodward, where we could all be together, and if we all would meet there, and we would all lay eye on each other uh, in that service, you know what? If that's all that happened, if we saw everybody, and even if we took the time, it would probably take about 30 minutes, but even if we took the time, and we had a 30-minute greeting, and we went around, and we shook 384 people. That's how many people we had last week we shook 384 people's hands and just said hey how are you deborah hey how are you jamie hey how are you donnie hey how are you lloyd you know if we did that 384 people okay in one big building i still don't believe discipleship would happen discipleship happens when we get close when we intertwine our lives with other people's lives there's a game we play in in the youth groups called lock up uh, it, it's, it, we've been playing it uh, 12 years ago or so is when I, when I found out about it. Uh, Bob Caldwell taught it uh, to me and we started playing it. We don't play it a whole lot because uh, it, it can be a little risky sometimes, you know, as far as people getting hurt. And so we, we try to space it out. But it's got some great spiritual application. Here's kind of the way the game goes. The, the guys get in one big mass, okay? The guys get into to a mass, right? Cody's played this before. Uh, guys get into a mass and, and they kind of hold on to each other. And the girls, we give them like, like five minutes or three minutes or ten minutes or whatever. The girls have so long to try to break the guys apart. Okay, so once you once you pull a guy from from the from the the, the ball or the mass or whatever from 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 another another guy, then he's out, and so he's got to go sit down. And so they try to pick him apart. Interestingly enough, usually the girls win. Okay, usually the girls win, and and here's the reason why: not always, but a lot of times you have guys that don't understand the game. They don't understand the strategy of the game, and they'll do something like this. Come on up here, Cody. They'll do something like this. You'll be this big football player guy, and he's thinking, "This is a piece of gig. A bunch of girls aren't going to break me apart," you know. And he'll get this other guy, but he doesn't really want to get close. Come on up here. And so what he'll do is he'll do something like this, you know. All right, we're ready, you know. Man, the girls are going to eat your lunch if this is all you got. I mean, really. I mean, they're going to tear you apart. Thank you, buddy. Uh, if, that, if that's all you got, if that's all the closer you're going to get. Now, there have been times when the guys won. Now, when, when they won, though, is when the guys were willing to, to, they were going to get close, you know. I mean, they put a headlock on a guy, you know, and another guy's intertwined there. They got their legs around, you know, and then this big guy comes around and he bear hugs them all, you know, another guy comes on top, you know. And I mean, there's, they're, they're just, they're in there, you know, close and personal. And, and you know what? There are times where they're like that. Man, the girls cannot tear them apart. They can't pull them apart, you know. There'll be five girls on this guy's leg trying to pull him off, you know, and they can't because he is so locked into his brothers, okay? In the same way, the church works the same way. If all the church has is relationships like this, 
where you have this superficial relationship where you don't really know who that family is and you don't know what that guy is going on in that guy's life and, and you're not going to let him into your life and you're not going to get into his life and all you have is a superficial relationship. You know what? When times get tough and when, when the burdens get hard and, and when persevering is difficult, you know what? You're probably going to get picked off by the devil. You're probably going to get pulled apart because discipleship works when we get up close and personal with people's lives. Now, I understand that gets a little uncomfortable and it gets a little ugly sometimes. Did you know that people are uglier the closer you get to them? I mean, isn't that true? I mean, really? I mean, you know. Two or three feet distance, is it's okay. But when you get really close, then you start seeing the blemishes. And, man, you missed a whole spot shaving. What is that? There's a little hair sticking out there, a little patch, you know. And, and, boy, those nose hairs. Get a trimmer, dude. You know I mean? You start seeing stuff like that, don't you? You know? You know, eight spots and the skin's not, you know, you don't want to be real close. You know, from here it looks good, but any closer is not so good, all right? In the same way, when you get close to people spiritually, you know what happens? They don't look so good sometimes. And all of a sudden, if you get real close and you stay there, then you got to start forgiving and you got to start bearing with people and you got to start, you know, uh, being patient with frustrating things about them. And you got to start exercising self-control and you got to start watching your tongue. You got to start bearing their burdens. You got to start loving them like Christ loved the church. And that's hard. But you know what? That's the way that God has wired discipleship. And friends, Paul did more than write the letter of Romans. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to meet with them. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to give friendships with them. He wanted to intertwine his life with their life. And it's not, the letter is not a replacement for a relationship. Let me say something. It's going to be hard for some of you. Facebook is not a replacement for relationships. It's really not, you know. Don't make me go on a tirade because I'm angry at Facebook. But, you know, uh, it's, got a, it's got some good things, okay. It's got some good things, and all one of them. It's got, you know, no, there's two probably. Uh, but it's not a replacement. It's not a replacement for friendships. It should be used as a tool. Man, if Paul would have had it, I bet he could have done some incredible things around the world, okay? Uh, instant mes- messaging, the telephone, uh, your cell phone, texting. All those things are great. Skyping, whatever, FaceTime, if you have, if you have an iPhone. All, all those things are, are fine, but they're not, they're not a replacement for you getting together with somebody else. You knowing their life and them knowing your life. You having them to your home and you being in their home. Folks, God has wired discipleship to work that way. And Paul says he longs, he deeply desires to go to Rome that he might see these folks. That he might have have some sort of ministry in their lives. Now, the question might be asked. See, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to feel questions that are going to come back. This is a hard thing for a lot of people. A lot of people struggle with relationships. They, they struggle to get close to other people. Okay? And so, so some folks are going to say, okay, pastor, you know, evidently Paul, you know, evidently he, he's, he's wanting to go meet these people he, he's never met before. He's wanting to have a relationship with these people he's never met before. That must be because he doesn't have any friends right now. I mean, that, sometimes that's why people have, have a hunger for friendships is because they don't have any friends. Okay? Let me tell you, that's not true with the Apostle Paul. In fact, the opposite is true with the Apostle Paul. 
Paul has spent his life building this network of incredible relationships. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me read you Acts chapter 20. Uh, this is one of my favorite pictures of Paul and, and his brothers. He meets with the Ephesian elders. So the, the, the guys, the spiritual guys in the Ephesian church, they come down and they meet Paul at this, this, this harbor. Uh, he's like has a day layover. He's, he's, he's on a ship uh, traveling to Rome. He's got like a day layover there. And, and, and they spend some time together. And because and Paul spent a couple years in Ephesus. And listen, listen when they leave. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. I mean, can you imagine that picture? You know, I mean, picture a bunch of bearded guys, you know, all red faced and bloodshot eyes and tears going down their face and hanging on Paul's neck, and slobber and kissing him. And I mean, that, that's a strange picture, isn't it? That, that's the affection and the love that, that these guys had for the Apostle Paul. That's the kind of friendships that he had. That's just the beginning. That's one town that Paul planted a church in. Man, when you start looking at his brothers that, that traveled with him, you know, when you start looking at and Barnabas and John Mark and, and Silas and, and Timothy and Titus. Wow. I mean, this guy had incredible friendships in his life. Guys who were willing to die for him. Uh, I mean, people that he called his sons. He called Timothy his son. Timothy wasn't his son, but they had such a close relationship that he called him his son. Paul had an incredible, if you will, if we can put it in Lincoln Avenue terms, Paul had an incredible small group. Okay, I mean, can you imagine having these guys in your small group, guys like Barnabas and guys like Silas, you know, people that had been to prison for the gospel, people that, that had done miracles in Jesus name, people that had written you know, books in the New Testament and pastored churches. Wow. I mean, Paul's got these guys in his small group. But you know what? Paul has an ever, ever expanding desire to pull more people into his life. And here's the reality about that. When you pull more people into your life, I wish this wasn't true, but it just is. When you expand your heart and pull more people into your life, you have less time for the ones already in your life. That is just true. I wish it wasn't. I wish I could tell you that God would do this thing like he did with the, the, the fish and the bread and he'd just multiply it, you know, and, and, and you'd be able to just spend as much time as you, as you are with your existing relationships and you'd be able to open your heart and pull more relationships in and spend as, as much time with them. But the reality is you only have so much time. You know, you only got so many lunches. You got seven lunches this week. That's all you got. You know, unless you eat twice during the middle of the day. I sometimes do that, you know, but not everybody's a pastor that can do that. You know, you only got so many lunch hours. All right. So, you know, you got seven. That means you can eat with seven people this week. And if you get a lunch hour, some of you don't get one every day. You say, man, I only got three. I only got two. I only got one. I only got today, pastor. Okay. You know, you only got so much time. And the reality is, as you open your life and pull more people into your life, you're going to have less time for those that are already in your life. Now, here's the big question. And some of you have asked this. You've asked it when we, when we tell you that we want to split your small group. We've asked, you know, you've asked it when we said we're going to start another service. Why would people do that? Why would Paul leave Barnabas and Mark and Silas and Timothy and Titus? Why would he leave them? Why would he leave Ephesus? Man, if you, if you live someplace... Where, where they love you so much that when you leave, they follow you to the, the moving truck and they're crying on your neck. You know what I say? Don't leave, man. You know I mean, you know, I've moved from places and, and nobody even came out the door, you know. I mean, uh, no, they didn't even wave, you know. 
I mean, wow, to have those kind of relationships. Let me ask you, why would you leave that? Only one reason. For the good of the kingdom. And I believe, and and I hope to prove this to you, for the good of your own soul. I, I really believe that Paul... Paul believed something. I believe that Paul, Paul believed that for the kingdom to advance, I've got to expand my heart. And, and I, I want to pull more people in. And, and, and I've got great friendships right now, and I've got great relationships, but I, I'm not just going to say, nope, that's it. That's, that's all the room i got in my life. Man, I'm going to open up my life and say, God, I want to share the gospel with my neighbor. And I want him to come to Christ. And, and I want us to start meeting together. And God, I, I, want, to, I want to share the gospel with my, with my cousin, you know, with my brother who's not a Christian yet. And, and I pray that he would come to Christ. And when he does, man, I, w- I want to disciple him. I want us to meet together in the morning for breakfast before work. And we're going to talk about the Bible together. I have an ever-expanding heart for more and more relationships. Now, now I, I want to play the devil's advocate here. What if we don't do that? What if we don't do that? I had a conversation this Wednesday with two men, uh, both of them in their 50s. And, man, it... it, it, it that's why I'm preaching this sermon today, was because of that conversation. Um, we were talking about small groups. We were talking about Christ-centered relationships. We were talking about going to three services. We were talking about some of these things. One of these guys is in our church. One of them's not. He's in another church in town. And they told me a story about when they were in their 20s. And they said, when we were in our 20s, we had this incredible group of Christian friends. We all went to the same church together. We were all having kids at the same time. You know, our wives were all pregnant and we were kind of at the same stage of life. You know, that, that sort of thing spurs on friendships, doesn't it? You know, I mean, I mean, usually a friendship is based on something. You know, it's, it's like we like to ride motorcycles together. Or we like to go fishing together. We all hunt or we love OU football or we, you know, we got kids the same age or we got, you know, our kids are playing soccer together. And so a lot of times that's kind of the thing that brings people together that kind of starts those friendships. But they had this, and they had it in their church, and, and so we had a really dynamic group. But, but something happened, and, and, and that's that, that the group was great, and it stayed, and it went on actually for, for a decade or so. But slowly, the thing, the thing kind of fell apart. And, and it's not that they're not still friends. They are, but there's not a closeness. There's not a dynamic spiritual relationship Nobody's, nobody's really encouraging each other to grow in their faith. And so I started asking questions about that. And you know the interesting thing? The interesting thing was they had that group, but they didn't expand it. There wasn't new people coming into it. There, there wasn't an ever-increasing, expanding, say, saying, all right, Lord, you've given us a great thing here, but Lord, we want to reach more people and we want to bring more people in. Because you see, if the group just stays like that, if it's just us, if it's just Paul and Barnabas and Mark and Silas and, and Timothy... You know, if it, if it just stays that, we're going to, and, and our families, and we're just going to be this group. You know what's going to eventually happen? First of all, I, th- I think there's going to be some growth there, but it's going to grow stagnant. Because there's not new life. There's not new vision. There's not um, pushing forward in the gospel. And, and second of all, you know what happens? And you guys have experienced this. People move, don't they? And people get transferred. I'm always kidding my wife. I, I tell her every time she gets a really good friend... Uh, I know that either they're, them or us are going to move soon, you know. So I tell her, don't get really good friends. No. <laughs> but it happens, doesn't it? It happens. Okay, it's just part of life. And, and, and so if there's not an ever-increasing desire to expand those relationships, we, we limit our, our personal growth and the growth of the kingdom. But that's hard, isn't it? And, and I just want to acknowledge that it's really hard to do that. 
You, you, you know, a place in the Bible that, that, that proves that is the transfiguration. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where Peter, James, and John go with Jesus on top of the mountain. And Jesus, Jesus reveals his glory. So, like, they've known him as a man. They've just seen him in flesh and blood. And Jesus, God just kind of pulls back the curtain on his divinity and, and his glory shines. The Bible says he, like, he like shined like the noonday sun. It's just blazing glory, you know. I mean, they're just like, wow, you know. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appear with him, okay. So you got Jesus blazing in glory. And you got Moses and Elijah back from the dead, back from heaven, okay. Now, you know what Peter says? Do you guys remember that story? You know what he says? Peter's a guy that always talks when he shouldn't talk. Anybody from, you know, you, you resonate with that? He, he, he always says something when he should just be quiet. And, and you remember what he says? He's like, he comes up to Jesus, you know, he's like, Jesus, we'll build three tents here, you know, and, and, and we, we can stay here, you know. He's like, hey, we'll go get the stuff. We'll build three tents. We won't tell anybody. And it'll just be out. We'll stay up here on the mountain. I mean, this is really cool, you know. Jesus in all his glory, Moses and Elijah. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better group than that, could you? You know, he says, we'll stay here. You remember what God says to him? It's just, it's not quite shut up, but it's really close, isn't it? Remember? He tells him, he says, you know, Peter, quiet. Listen to Jesus. And then it says that Moses and Elijah disappeared. And you know what Jesus told them? All right, let's go back down. You know what I'd be thinking? Go back down. <laughs> Come on. No, 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 no. Let's stay here. Call Moses and Elijah back. You do that glory thing and we will bask in this, okay? But they got to go back down. Life's kind of that way, isn't it? Life's kind of that way. Paul... I think Paul had it. Paul had an ever-increasing capacity to pull more people into his life. Now, let's deal with some issues here. Does that mean that you drop the old friendships? No, not at all. Does that mean that every three months you change churches? Please don't do that, you know? I mean, I mean, if God leads you to, you know, you need to go where God leads you to. But No, not at all. Uh, does that mean that you don't do the hard work in fostering long-term relationships? Did, did you know this? Having a friend for six months is easy. Having a friend for a year is a little harder. Having a friend for five years is pretty difficult. Having a close friend for a decade, that's pretty hard. You know, you know why that's hard? It's, and what's, it's not hard in the sense of, you know, you know we're really going to blow up at each other and, you know, hate each No, it's just, it's just it's hard to, to continually invest in someone for the long term. That's really a hard thing. Am I saying we shouldn't do that? Absolutely not. Let me prove to you that Paul not only had a passion to expand his life, to pull more people in, Paul had a passion to, to keep up his existing relationships. First missionary trip that Paul ever took, remember is Acts chapter 13, and he leaves from Antioch, and he leaves with two guys. He leaves with Barnabas and a guy named John Mark, okay? Now, this guy named John Mark, about halfway through the deal, he's like, this is really tough. People are throwing rocks at our heads. I don't want any more of this, okay? He goes back to mom, all right? They can't, he kind of leaves Paul and Barnabas in, in a bad spot. Okay, Acts chapter 16, they, they, they've come back home three years later or so. They've done the first missionary trip. They've given their report. They're ready to go back out to, to, to do more work for Christ and to revisit these churches again. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark. And Paul says, I don't think it's a good idea. And they actually, they actually have a conflict over it and they split and, and they can't agree. And so Barnabas takes Mark and they go one way and Paul takes Silas and they go another way. Okay, you know, interesting thing, the last book, that is ever written by the Apostle Paul is 2 Timothy. He's in prison. This is decades, maybe 20-some years after, after that first missionary trip. 
So decades have gone by. Paul's an old man. He's in a Roman cell. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He's writing 2 Timothy. And here's what he says in verse 11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. He's got the same friend that he had in Acts chapter 13. That is really cool to me. Is that really cool to you? Obviously not. You don't look like it's cool, but it is. That's, that, that's great to have persevered in a relationship, to have gone through the conflict and gone through the struggles and, and just fought it out and to still have this close relationship. Man, Paul didn't give up on his relationships, but you know what he knew had to happen for the kingdom to grow and for him to grow personally? He had to open up his heart and he had to bring new people in. He, he had to say, God, I want you to use me to reach more people. And I want you to use me to build new relationships. And God, I want to keep up these old ones. But I'm also going to devote my time and attention to new relationships in order that we might grow the kingdom. And, and, and so you say, okay, Pastor, you've made your point. We need to open our heart to new relationships. But here's the big question. What do we do with those relationships? Well, I want to give you some practical stuff here, okay? Number one. Look at, look at Paul's focus. Look at his intent. Look at what, he, what, he's, what he's thinking when he gets together. Verse 11, he says, For I long to see you that I may, here's what he wants to do when he gets together with folks, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. You know what Paul's focus is? Paul's focus when he goes to his small group. Paul's focus when he goes to Taco Mayo to eat with his, his brothers. Paul's focus when he goes to exercise with, with, with Silas and Timothy. When, when he goes fishing with, with Mark. You know what his focus is? His focus is, I, w- I want to communicate something that's going to strengthen your faith. I want to live in such a way that your faith is going to be stronger. Let me just stop and ask you, is that your motive in your relationships? I mean, what, what's, what's your motive? What's your motive for having somebody over? What's your motive for, for inviting someone to lunch? What's your motive for having an accountability group? What's your motive for going to a small group? I pray that whatever it is, I pray that you would change it. And maybe it's already this, that's fine. But I pray that you would make it that you want to go with the intent to strengthen someone spiritually. Now, some of you are going to say, Pastor, that'd be great, but I'm a spiritual wreck, you know? I'm a believer, but I'm not very strong. And I'm a believer, but I'm pretty weak, and I just don't think I have anything to offer. You are disagreeing with what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit works through every believer. It says to each. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, I could take you to First Peter and tell you and show you where it says God has gifted every born again believer so that they are useful in the lives of other believers. Folks, the Bible says you are needed in the kingdom. And when you get together, when you get your life together, you know, it could be that you've not been used very much. It could be that you've not been a blessing spiritually to other people. I think probably one of the reasons why is maybe you're a person that holds people at a distance. Well, in that way, you're, you're not very useful because you've got to entwine your life with other believers in order to be useful to the kingdom. So Paul says in verse 11, let's go back. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. And then what does he want to happen? He wants them to be strengthened, to strengthen you. Now, Paul's not talking about physical strength. He's not saying we're going to get together and lift weights or we're going to get together. And a bunch of the Lincoln Avenue people are doing that. uh, What's that called? That body thing or I don't know. It's something at the gym. Anyway, I saw it. I've heard people talking about it. Anyway, Callie Castor, Chris, what's it called, Chris? Chris goes, body pump. Yeah, Chris doesn't go, but Callie invites him, and then he finds an excuse every time. He gets on his gym clothes, and then he, like, pretends that I call him. He's like, oh, honey, I got to go, you know. I got to go minister. I'm sorry, you know. And 
Anyway, so I'm not talking about, I mean, we're not talking about spiritual strength. We're talking about, or I'm, I'm sorry, physical strength. We're talking about spiritual strength. Now, what is spiritual strength? In other words, when, when you, you get entwined with someone else's life and you impart to them spiritual value so that they are strengthened in their life. What does that look like? That means they're made strong against temptation, right? There's a lot of things that, that come against us. We're tempted to sin. We're tempted to, to, to disobey God. And when you're strong spiritually, you are strong to fight against that. It means being strong to carry heavy loads. There's a lot of things in life that are heavy, okay? And they're heavy to carry spiritually. And when you're strengthened spiritually, you are strengthened so that you're able to carry those things. It it means being able to bear burdens. It means being able to do hard things for God. There are times where God calls us to do hard things. Hey, forgiveness is one of them, isn't it? And you know what? Being strong spiritually means we're made able to to do those things that God wants us to do. And and so Paul says, I want to get together with you. and, And my intent is to give you something spiritual when he says, spiritual gift. I don't think he's talking about preaching or teaching. I think he's talking about giving you something of spiritual value so that you grow in your spiritual strength so that you're able to walk with Jesus more effectively. Okay. Now let's get real practical here. What exactly does it look like when we get together? Because I think some people are like, ah, pastor, I, I hear what you're saying. What, would, what in the world would I do? You know, I, I invite Dale out to, to taco factory and we get there and what do I do spiritually? You know, I mean, we talk about tires, you know, and we talk about OSU, but is that what you're talking about, Pastor? Well, that a little bit of that's fine, okay? But Paul, Paul has a different agenda, okay? Talk about tires, talk about, talk, talk about OSU, talk about whatever, you know, other things you want to talk about to kind of build the relationship. But look at what his desire is ultimately. Look in verse 15. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You know what Paul does when he gets together with people? He talks about spiritual things from the Bible. Simple as that. Okay? Simple as that. Now, when he talks about the gospel, I don't want you to think he's just talking about, you know, a gospel track. You know, the gospel is, it's what we live on. It's what we breathe on. The gospel is, is the truth that the man is a sinner, that you're broken. You know why you are the way you are? Because you're broken. You're broken in your sin. And Jesus Christ has lived, come and lived a perfect life. He is the glorious son of God. And he died a substitutionary death. He died in your place that you might be joined to him by faith, that you might be filled with the spirit of God, that you might be transformed, that he might give you repentance in your life and you might grab onto the promises of God and live a holy life. That's the gospel. And Paul says, when I get together with people, I want to talk about the gospel. Okay? And that can be done in a thousand different ways. And, and, and because, because I want you to see that, well, first of all, let's look at a couple of verses that talk about this. When he's with those Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, in verse 32, he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. He says, I'm leaving you, but I'm leaving you with the Bible. And notice what it says here. To the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. In Ephesians, when Paul's talking to the Ephesian church, he says, here's what I want you guys to do together. Verse 19, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You hear that? We're supposed to teach and admonish one another. What does that mean? That means when we get together, we talk about spiritual things. You know, what does that look like? I want to be really practical because I still think people are like, Okay, pastor, so we go to Taco Factory, and we sit down, and we talk about tires a little bit. We talk about OSU a little bit, and then we're like, okay, Dell, here's the gospel. You're a sinner, you know. Well, so are you, you know, and well, Jesus died for you. Well, he died for you, know, is that what we do? Well, I think, let, let me give you a bunch of different ways, okay? Number one, I get together with my family every night, 
We sit in the living room floor. And, and we do this. We do it in a lot of different ways. Last night, we read the book, The Eaglet. Okay? It, it's a book for kids. I didn't have my big girls with me. They were somewhere else. And so I had my little three. And so we read The Eaglet together. That's all we did. The Eaglet is a parable about the gospel. There's this little eaglet. And uh, his father tells him, the day you, die, the day you fly is the day you die. Because he's too small to fly. And, and the eaglet doesn't believe his dad. He's like, I don't think my dad knows what he's talking about. You know, I think I can fly. And he's got these little, little pipsqueaky wings. And so he jumps out of the nest, you know. And he's got this long fall down the canyon in which he's thinking about, oh, my, what did I just do? You know, I disobeyed my dad and he was right. And now I'm going to die, you know. His dad, like, swoops down gets him right. You know, anyway, I'm not. T- hey, we read the eaglet, all right? Anyway, story about the gospel. A couple days ago, uh, we sat there with our Bibles. And I said, all right, guys, what, what topic are we going to talk about tonight? Avery, my seven-year-old, she said, let's talk about love, Dad. Okay, all right, that's a good one. All right, everybody, look for passages on love. Say, I'll go through the Bible, you know, and they find one. You know, Haddon's like, I found one, you know, and okay, read it, son. And he reads it. All right, right, what does that mean? What is that telling us? Telling us that God loves us. All right, good. You know, and and, and he loved us so much that he died for us. That's great, Romans 5, 8. All right, right, somebody else finds one. Addie's like, I got one. You know, that's what we did. We did that for about 10, 15 minutes. We, we just looked through passages, just had a topic. We looked for passages on love. In other words, I don't care how you do it, but, but we sit down as a family, and there's lots of different ways we do Sometimes we read a hero tale. Sometimes we, uh, we have just a devotion. Sometimes we tell a Bible story. Sometimes we dress up. This is cool. We dress up and we videotape it. You know, the kids really like this, the little ones anyway. You know, we'll do like David and Goliath, you know, and someone gets to do a sling, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll act out the Bible story. So we tell it and we talk about parts and we, you know, what are we doing? Well, we're encouraging each other with the scriptures, aren't we? Okay. So uh, however you want to do it, maybe, maybe your small group's going to get together and you're going to read a chapter out of the Bible every time you get together. Or maybe you're going to read a chapter before you get there and you're going to talk about it. Or maybe you're going to read a paragraph, you know, you got, you got something else you're going through in your small group, but you're going to say, you know what, before we pray to eat. We're, we're, we're going to read a, a paragraph of Philippians every, every time. So there's like 16 weeks in our small group. So we're going to break that up into 16 different sections. And we're going to read it. And then as we eat, you know, we're going to talk about, okay, anything pop out to you there in that passage? Well, man, I, well, Paul said that. What in the world does that mean? You know, or this verse, man, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And we'll talk about scripture together. Or maybe you're going to get together with lunch about some, with somebody. And you're just going to talk about what you're reading your quiet time. You know, you're going to meet at Subway. And, 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 and I'm going to meet with somebody and they're going to say, oh, pastor, what have you been reading? And I'm going to say, well, I've been reading Proverbs and Mark. That's where I've been in my, in, my, in my quiet time in the mornings. I've been reading a chapter of Proverbs and a chapter of Mark every morning. And I'm going to say, you know, here's what stuck out to me. You know, here's what it says in Proverbs or here's what it says in Mark. You know, maybe that's what you're going to do. Or, or maybe you're going to get together with your small group and you're going to say, you know what? I want to know what the Bible says about money. I have no idea what the Bible says about money. So, all right, everybody, we're going to look at Bible passages this week. And we're going to come back next week. And we're going to talk about money. And so... You got a computer program. Those are really nifty, okay? And you just type in money, you know, and it lists them all, you know? So you look like you're a Bible scholar. You come with a sheet, you know, that long. You say, here's what I found. I read the whole, you know. But anyway, you're going to do that. Or, or maybe you're going to have Sunday lunch today. Wow, it's already 12.05, isn't it? That's okay. I'm halfway through. So you're going to have Sunday lunch around 1 o'clock, all right? And you're going to go out with somebody. You're going to say, hey, you guys want me some Pizza Hut? And you're going to go to Pizza Hut. Or maybe, maybe you got a roast on. You're going to bring another family in. And you're going to go and you say, all right, what did you think of the sermon? And you say, well, man, it was long and dry and it was hot and pastor was terrible. And, and, and that's fine. And you say, okay, good. What do you think of Romans 1, 11, and 12? And you're like, well, I don't know. That's what, you know, talk about it together. Isn't that what you're doing? Okay. That, that's a way to do that. Maybe you're going to host a Bible study in your home. Maybe, maybe, maybe you got a friend that's hurting. Anybody got a friend that's hurting? And you're going to take them out for a pop. 
And you're going to go through a drive-thru, and, and as you're driving, you're going to say, you know what, buddy, I'm just really hurting for you, and I know you're, you're hurting in your life, and I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And what I've been praying is I've been praying this verse in the Psalms that I found. Psalm 46, 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in time of trouble. And I've been praying that God would be your help. Because I know, I know you're going through a troubling time in your life. What are you doing? Doing exactly what Paul said to do. Aren't you? You're strengthening that person. Okay? Maybe, maybe you're going to go to that exercise class, you know, of, of, of calories, you know. And then you're going to work hard and you're going to sweat and you're going you're to be sore. And after you get done... You know, you're going to go to Dairy Queen across the street because you deserve it. You've earned it. That's what I think. I said that in the, camp, in the, in the second campus and Callie was going, no. And I was like, Callie says it's okay. You know, when you're the guy speaking, you can do whatever you want. You know, I said, like, you go across the Dairy Queen and you, you take your group across there. And, and you say, guys, no, not, we've just worked out. But you know what? Let's, let's hold each other accountable spiritually as well. We're holding each other accountable physically. But you know what? Let's hold each other accountable spiritually. You know, to read our Bibles and to, to lo- love our husbands as, as, as Christ loved the church and love our wives as Christ loved the church and not to exasperate our children. You know, let, let's, let's take these biblical principles and let's hold each other accountable. You know, or, or maybe you're going to, I don't know, I mean, we're, we're late. Lots of things, right? Couldn't you? I got a bunch more, but you know, see how that could work out anyway, right? Okay, but not only are we going to do that, but notice verse 12. Notice verse 12. It says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Did you hear that? Mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Now, what does that mean? That means that when we get together, see, this doesn't happen unless we're together. When this get together, when we get together, I see your faith, you see my faith, and we're encouraged. Now, you're going to ask the question, well, pastor, how do you see faith? Some of you have been going through James. In your, in, your, in your Sunday school class. I know there's a couple classes doing James. Listen to this verse in James. James 2.18. It says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. Listen to this. Are you ready? And I will show you my faith by my works. See, when you get close enough to see somebody's life, you're going to see their faith, if they have faith, and you're going to see it through the works of their life. Okay. Let me be practical in. Let's, let's, let's just go through some things. Here, here's how this might work out, okay? Um, you're, you're trying to forgive somebody in your life. And so if you're hanging out with somebody, you know, they're going to see whether or not you've forgiven them or not. I had a great experience this week. Uh, it was great for me, probably bad for the person. But um, I was with another Christian, and somebody, uh, somebody came in, and they were just rude and mean to this person. Uh, this person that's my friend, that's a Christian. This person was so gracious. I mean, they, they just they just shined. They, they, there was not a negative, even in their tone. They were just nothing but kind and considerate and gracious to this person that was being really rude to them. And after that person left, I, I pulled them aside and I said, man, I, I am really proud of you. I said, I saw your faith shine through there. Because you could have you been, really, been really angry and you could have been really defensive, but you weren't. I mean, I, I just see, I see Christ in you. That was encouraging to me to see that. That encouraged my faith. Or maybe you hang out with somebody. I've got some friends in my life that I'm good enough friends that I know what they spend their money on. You know, and, and that, that's when you're, you're pretty good friends when you know that, right? And, and, and there's a couple of them that I know. They could have bought this vehicle, but they bought this one. And they could have bought this house, but they bought this one. And then they could have spent this much money at the mall, but they spent this much. And that's encouraging to me because I know they're doing that that they might give. And then I see them give. And I see them, I see them pay somebody's electric bill. And I see them, you know, minister to the needy. And I see them send money over, over, overseas emissions. And that builds up my faith. 
I'm seeing their faith. I'm seeing their faith through their works. And it's building up my faith. You know, or, or maybe here's, here's, I love this when this happens. And I've seen it almost every small group. I love it when I'm at someone's small group and we're all filling our plates there, going through the line. And I love it when I hear some husband building up his wife in front of everybody. That is cool, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, evidently not. <laughs> Man, you guys are hard. It's 1210. You're mad because I'm not let you out, aren't you? Well, despite what you think, that's really cool, okay? That, I mean, that, it is. You know, when I, when, I, when I hear, you know, just in the conversation, some guy saying, hey, man, you, you got to know what my wife did this week. You know, she, she ministered to our, our neighbor, and, man, I was so proud of her. And, and, man, she's a prayer warrior, and she encourages me. Or when I hear a wife talking about her husband saying, man, this guy, he's such a rock in our family, and he's so good with our kids. I love that. Man, you're, you're seeing, you're, you're getting together people and, and their lives rubbing off on yours. And it makes me want to be a better man. It makes me want to be a better husband. You know, or maybe you're, you're a small group. I've seen this too. And there's somebody in there and they're going through a tough, tough time. You know, just tragedy, sickness, illness, job, trouble, whatever, financial. And they've chosen joy instead of, instead of pity. And they come and, and you know they're going through, through a horrible time. But they've come and, and they're joyful. Man, that encourages my faith. Man, that, that, that stirs me up on the inside. Or maybe you're eating with somebody and, and you're eating with them at lunch and you guys are talking about spiritual things and you're talking about the football game or whatever and all of a sudden somebody else comes in and you're like, you know what? I know that person's having trouble. When we leave, let's, 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 go, let's go pray for them. Let's, let's stop at their table and pray for them. Or, or how about this? I've seen this too. Hey, waitress, give us their check. We'll, we'll pay for theirs. And I've seen that. Man, that encourages me, you know. Or, 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 or I've even seen where, you know, waitress comes by. And, What's wrong? You know, you, you seem like you're having a bad day. Well, I am. And, and, and I've had a buddy before say, hey, you know what? I just want you to know there, there's a verse in the Bible. And here's what it says. And, and I really believe that. And, and I want you to believe that. And I just want to encourage you with that today. What's happening? We're with people and their faith is encouraging our faith. And that what's happening? That's a powerful thing. And it's good for you. Some of you are saying, no, pastor, it's bad for me. If, if I open my heart to more people, here's the deal about people. They're messy and they're sinners and they let you down. True? Yes. Well, I mean, you got to face that. You got to face that right now. Are they going to let you down? Yeah. If you're, if you're around them long enough and you're close enough to their life, they will. Okay, they're going to let you down. They're going to demand things of you. Their life's messy. There are going to be times where they're in the pits. There are going to be times where they're negative and grumpy and snappy and moody. All of those things are true. But here's what Paul says. Paul says, man, I can't wait to see you guys and be in the middle of all that. Why? That we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That's true. It's just true. That's the way discipleship works. When I'm around Bonnie, I was over at Bonnie King's house this week. Haven and I, we spent a little time there. Haven actually fell asleep, so we spent quite a bit of time there because I didn't want to move her, you know. When we're over there, Man, I'm, I'm hearing Bonnie's heart for ministry, and I'm hearing Kenny's heart. And, we, and, we, and we, if we come, if I go there, and if when I come, their motive and my motive, if our motives are, I want to build up the faith of the casters. And if their motive is, I want to build up the faith of the, of, of the pastor. You know what's going to happen? Our faith's going to be built up. If that's my heart, even me attempting to build up someone else's faith is going to build up my faith. And if that's their intent too, it's going to happen. And people are going to grow. Lincoln Avenue, I am so convinced this is what it means to be the church. Okay? No matter what happens with this right here that we do, 
where you sit out there and be quiet and I stand up here and talk too long. Okay, no matter what form we do that, if we meet in a building that holds 10,000 or whatever, you know, if we're in three services. You know what it means to be the church? It means to be the church is that when we leave this building, that's what we are. We're people that care for other people. We're people that intertwine our lives with other believers in relationship for the purpose of strengthening their faith. Let's do it. Father, I thank you for your grace. And God, I thank you for our small groups. Uh, God, I think about how precious each one of them is and and what a good work that's being done in those groups. And Father, I just pray that our hearts would be right. I pray that you give us the ability to, to open our hearts up for for more and more relationships, God, to reach out to our neighbors, to reach out to our friends, to reach out to people that you bring to this church. And God, that we would work hard to invest our lives in other people. God, help us not to ever make the, the tragic mistake of looking around and saying, how come, how come somebody's not investing in me? Uh, Father, I, I just think that's a sinful way to look at it. Lord, I, I pray that the question on every person's heart here this morning would be, how come I'm not investing in somebody else? Lord, I believe that's the path of of Jesus. I believe it's the path of, of growth. And God, I want that. Lord, we want that for our church. Please give it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.